man. Good morning, City Light Church. Okay, go ahead and grab a seat. My name is Gavin, one of the pastors for our church. As you grab a seat, please do turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, Sarah read our scripture for this morning, and this morning is week one of six weeks in which we are calling our Summer in the Psalms series. And so if you're new to us, what we do, we love this book. We believe this book is living and active. We believe God speaks through this book, and we preach through this book. And so we usually pick a book within the book, and we preach through it. Uh, We're going to mix it up for the next six weeks. Uh, Psalms is actually a collection of 150 different psalms and poems. It's kind of the artistic center of Scripture. And uh, for the different preachers that are going to rotate through the summer, we all got to pick out one of our favorite psalms and preach uh, one of our favorite psalms. And so one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103. So turn there in your Bible. We're going to preach there. Uh, As we go there, uh, let me say happy Father's Day to the fathers in the room. Happy Father's to you men. Um, For Father's Day yesterday, uh, we decided to have a Father's Day epic adventure. So we had our city group over and some of our friends. And what better way to spend Father's Day than on a 150-foot slip and slide? And so I think we've got a video. This is yesterday uh, in our backyard. This is our city group. That's Pastor Tyler's son right there doing the Ninja Turtle spin. What a good dad. And then watch him. This could be Pastor Tyler with his other son, Zeke. Look at the phone, Zeke. Right here, Zeke. Tyler's one of our pastors in Benson. Here goes Zeke. Watch him. He loves it. (laughs) Look at that. Watch it. He chucks his iPhone so it doesn't get wet. That's a good father right there. Here's to doing really dumb stuff that's making fun memories with your kids. Uh, and I'm exceedingly sore from like six hours on the slip and slide yesterday. So if I look a little stiff and rigid, it's because whatever these muscles are right here, abs or whatever they're called, I don't have those, but I acted all day like I do, and so I'm feeling it today. Uh, But happy Father's Day to all of you. Psalm 103, I want to preach to you from my favorite psalm, Psalm 103, and I want to talk to you, preach to you on the topic of leading your soul, leading your soul. Psalm 103 is written by King David. He was a a king in ancient Israel. He was an amazing man, a a guy that was really inspirational to me because he was both like the warrior and the mighty king and the leader. He was also a poet and an artist and a songwriter. And he was an amazing man of God who loved God. And he writes this Psalm 103. And the weirdest thing happens in this psalm. David starts off by talking to his soul. Okay, now some of you guys grew up in church, you grew up reading your Bibles, and you think, of course he's talking to his soul. That's beautiful. Bless his heart. He's just talking to his soul. Well, I didn't grow up reading my Bible, and I remember reading this psalm and others like it for the first time in my late teen years, thinking, what is wrong with this guy? Like, honestly, who, who talks to their soul? This guy, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He's talking to his soul. And I remember thinking, this guy's a little loony. Like, I think there's medicinal and psychotherapy treatments for guys such as this nowadays to talk to themselves. But apparently King David did not have it. He's talking to himself. Okay? This is like, um, this is like Tom Hanks in Castaway, but he didn't have a Wilson volleyball to talk to. So he's talking to his soul. I thought this guy's a little off. But here's what I've learned. I've been walking with Jesus for about 17 years right now. 
And I've learned something that makes David not seem quite so crazy to me when he talks to his soul. And the idea that I've learned is this. I have an interior life that the Bible calls my soul. It's my thought life, my will, it's the seed of my emotions, it's the the control mechanism of my entire being. I have an external life, but I have a soul, the interior to Gavin's existence. And here's what I've learned. My soul takes leadership to be healthy. What I don't mean is that positionally before God it takes leadership, okay? Here's, Here's what we believe. The central message of the Bible is that our soul is saved when we place our faith in Jesus, okay? So positionally, our soul is healthy as soon as we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, sins forgiven, perfect righteousness before the Father. Our soul is saved, as it were. Positionally, we are healthy. But but here's what I also mean. I can't then just put the interior of my life on autopilot and just assume that my heart and my mind are going to drift into more and more godliness. That accidentally, if I don't do anything, I'm just going to become more and more a godly man and a godly husband and a godly father. What I've learned is that I need to lead my soul. Um, in fact, if I'm honest, the default, default mode of Gavin's soul, even though I'm saved by Jesus, if I don't touch it, if I don't lead myself, the default mode of my soul is given to anxiety and to worry into fearfulness, into anxiousness. I have this thing where I could have 1,000 amazing, great things going on in my life that I have to be thankful for, but my soul will find the one thing that's not going well and it'll freak out about it. And so I'm lying in bed at night and I can think about how God has been good to me and what Jesus has done for me and the things that are going well in my family, but my, my, my mind will wander until it latches onto the one thing that I can be anxious about. And then I just gnaw on that all night long. And here's what I found. My soul needs to be led. Dear old saint at a church uh, that I was at before this one, one time told me, Gavin, don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. This dear saintly old lady said, Gavin, to walk with Jesus means you're going to have to learn to quit listening to yourself and you're going to have to start talking to yourself. And what I think she meant to say is, Gavin, you need to learn to lead your soul. That's what King David figured out. As we lift the hood here, we get to see kind of the inner dialogue between King David and his soul. And he realized, listen, he had a crazy life. The externals of his life were wild. So he's got um, you know, we think we're busy. We got like an inbox and, and, and an iPhone and a schedule. And, and we, th- no, King David's life was crazy. He's got a kingdom to run, multiple battles happening simultaneously. He's battling with sin, fell into sin, had a son, lost a son as an infant, has another son who's wayward. He's got multiple wives. Yeah, he's busy, okay? Uh, that's a whole nother sermon on why that was a poor decision. And the Bible does affirm that. Uh, one wife is a good thing. Two is not such a good thing. Paul, David has a lot going on. He's a mighty, mighty leader, but what we're going to see is that he figured out the most important thing he can lead every day is his, himself. He's not going to drift into being a healthy, grounded, rooted man. He needs to lead himself. No one else is going to do that for him. And we see he has this sort of third-person dialogue with his soul, with his interior life. And so we're going to lift the hood this morning and take a look at, at this. And, and I want this morning to be a very practical sermon for us. I know the Psalms are very ethereal, they're very artistic, but I think there's some truths in here that it's going to be very practical coaching material for us 
as we seek to walk with and honor Jesus. And so I've titled my sermon, it's a little cheesy, I called it My Soul's Greatest Hits. But the idea is this, all of us have a song in our soul. We have a default thought that we think about when we wake up in the morning, before we go to bed, and as we drive home from work. We all entertain things in our soul, and we all have a a most played list. We all have those thoughts that we tend to go back to and those scenarios that we tend to replay. And we have a song to our soul. But what we're going to see from King David is that he, he learned how to train his soul to think about and dwell on God. That the things of God and the good news of the gospel became the very soundtrack of his soul so that on the, the, the greatest hits list, his soul's top 40 list, he is dwelling on the things of God. He is dwelling on the things of God. And City Light, I, I want this for us. Um, I, I want us to learn to be a church, not that just, you know, we're, we're generally good people, religiously moral people that kind of go to a church service. No, no, no. God has so much more for us. See, Jesus died to save us from our sins, but he saved us into a real-time, present relationship with him where our soul can connect with him and find joy and peace in him. He is an ever-present help. And I want us to be a community that knows our God in our souls and interacts with him and finds joy and peace with him on an everyday basis. And so I'm hoping that Psalm 103 is going to be very practical to us this morning. And so uh, if you're there, we're going to get started in the very first verse. I want to, what I want to do, I want to pull out three themes that I think King David is going to coach his soul in. And that he's going to tell his soul to worship the Lord for. And so I want to just pull out these three categories and kind of press them into our church uh, over the next you know, hour and a half or so. Just kidding. 20 minutes. Here we go. Uh, verse 1. He gets started this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Remember, he's talking to his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Did you know our soul has a selective memory? Our soul will tend to remember all the bad things and forget all the good things. And David's saying, no, 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 soul, remember the benefits of God. He's going to command his soul, soul, I know you want to fixate on a thousand other things, but in this moment you're going to remember the benefits of God and you are going to worship him for that. we got to command our souls. And then he's going to parade five benefits before his soul to bless the Lord for. So write down in your notebook, in your, in your program, point one, bless the Lord for his benefits. Now look at the benefits. Verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Number one, who forgives all your iniquity. We have to tell our souls. Souls, think about the fact that you've actually been forgiven. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 says that we have an adversary, the devil, and his, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. In other words, there's an enemy that wants to put inside of us accusations that on the top 40, the greatest hits would be us replaying our greatest sins, replaying our greatest failures, and then the enemy wants to define us by those. You remember that thing you messed up on? You remember that sin? You remember this fractured relationship? Remember that sin? You are a sinner. You remember that failure? You are a failure. And he wants to replay his anthem of accusations. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I have forgiven you for your sins. Verse 12 is going to say, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus took our guilt, paid for it on the cross, and David is telling his soul, soul, don't just slip over this, right? David's telling his soul, and I think we can do the same thing. It's the Christian almost cliche, 
If you grew up in a church, you're familiar with the story. Yeah, you're forgiven. That's great. Hold on. Soul, don't skip over that. Forgiven for what? Right? You were destined for hell. The wages of sin is death, and your sin was upon you, and Jesus came and died for you that that guilt might be taken from you? Church, we need to tell our souls, if that doesn't get you excited, your wood is wet, right? we got to tell our souls, remember his benefits. Forgiveness is not some cliche. That's our reality. Our destiny, apart from the grace of God, was hell, but he has saved us. We need to tell our souls, bless the Lord, I'm forgiven. Number two. Second benefit, look at verse 3. He says, who heals all your diseases. Remember, he's talking to his soul here. We, we, we do believe that God can and does heal the physical body. Some of you have been healed by the grace of God, and, and we celebrate that. But in verse 3, he is talking to his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Remember his benefits, who heals all your diseases. And in this verse, he's talking about the diseases of the soul. These are things like guilt, fear, doubt, depression, anger, hate, jealousy, greed, resentness, resentness, and bitterness. Resentment. Thank you. I'm looking at bitterness in my notes trying to say resentment. Here's what he's saying. Listen, when you encounter Jesus, we don't just intellectually understand, yeah, I'm forgiven for my sins and we move on. No, 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 no. What happens is we, we come to understand that and it actually changes the way we experience life. And interact with other people, and healing starts to happen as we understand the forgiveness of God. Here's what this looks like. Um, Understanding that you're forgiven allows you to start to forgive other people who have sinned against you. And when that happens, healing starts to happen internally. This is David's story. David spent much of his life on the run. He was uh, hunted down by another king whose name was Saul. And he had opportunity to avenge himself against King Saul. He had the opportunity uh, to harbor bitterness against him, but he doesn't do it. He keeps his heart pure and says, no, I'm forgiven and I will forgive. And I will walk with an integrity and purity and I'm going to guard my heart against the disease of anger and bitterness and resentment and hate and revenge. And I'm going to trust the Lord. I have been forgiven and so I am going to forgive. That's how it, that's how it works. See, Jesus not only says, hey, listen, Christian, give me, give me your past sins. We're going to throw them away. No, no, no. He says, hey, let me actually come in and change the things in your life that are making you hollow and sick right now. Jesus not only forgives all of our iniquities, blessing number two, benefit number two. He heals all of our diseases. Forget not all his benefits. Look at number three, verse four. He says, who redeems your life from the pit. My wife sells vintage clothes, and she sells them on Etsy, and she sells them at, at Junk Socks. She's looking at me really panicked. It's going to be fine. I'm not going to embarrass you. Um, so she, she sells vintage clothes. And on Thursday, uh, she went and met a lady whose grandma had died, and like grandmas do, had accumulated a lot of stuff. And so now this lady's working through grandma's estate, and she's got mountains of stuff. And so, uh, you know, they're trying to deal with this stuff in a timely manner. So some goes to, goes to Goodwill, some goes in the dump. It just needs to go. And Sarah gets a hold of this lady and says, no, 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 don't throw away the clothes. Don't throw away the clothes. She met the lady on, on Thursday, and she had mounds of, of clothes that were headed for the pit. And Sarah said, let me, let me buy those. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you for those. And she took something which was headed towards the pit, and she, and she gave value. She paid a price, and she took them home, and she cleaned them up, and she, and she steamed them, and she pressed them, and she cared for them. And you too can buy them this weekend at Junk Stock, because <laughs> I want them all out of my basement. She treasures them. I do not. Uh, that's a whole nother marriage sermon. Uh, love your wife. Anyway, <laughs> 
those clothes were us. That's what David is reminding his soul here. You've been forgiven. You've been healed. And listen, your destination was the pit. You were were headed for destruction. And Jesus comes and he buys you back. He pays an incredible price, his life on the cross, and redeems you and repurposes you and uses us for something beautiful. He's telling us, soul, hey, don't, don't overlook this. Forget not all his benefits. You have been redeemed from the pit, from the pit into what? Look at benefit number four. Verse 4, he says, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. God redeems us. We were headed for the pit. He puts on our head a crown, a crown of love and a crown of mercy. Christian, I don't know what the world has told you about your worth. I don't know what your elementary school classmates told you about who you are. I don't know what your parents said or thought that you would amount to. I don't know what you think of yourself, but I know that before Jesus, our identity is stitched together by what everyone else says about us. And what we think about ourselves. And everyone has a verdict for our lives, but Jesus comes in and he overturns all their verdicts. And verse 4 says he places a crown on your head. You're loved by God. Headed for the pit to royalty. He's coaching his soul, saying, soul. Think about this for a second. Uh, How do you wear a crown on your head? Chris, when you go to Burger King, get that crown. Your head's not down like this. And my kids get the crown, it's shoulders back, it's chin up, it's head up. When you wear a crown, you got some swagger, okay? And when you have been crowned by God, we don't walk in arrogance, we are to walk in humility, but we are to walk in confidence. I think so often our soul gets downtrodden and discouraged and caught up in these things of the world, and David's going to remind himself, no, 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 no. There's a crown on you. You have been saved from the pit, and there's a crown on your head. You are loved by God. You are the object of his affection. You need to wear that with confidence. You need to tell your soul you have a crown, the love and mercy of God. So don't be discouraged or depressed. Forget not all his benefits. Got to coach your soul. Look at the last benefit. He parades before his own soul. Verse 5, he says, Who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Listen, at the end of the day, knowing God is better than anything in this world. David tells his soul that God alone satisfies and he satisfies with good. There are 1,000 things in this world that promise us satisfaction. It's the shiny, it's what's right in front of you, but all of them overpromise and underdeliver. There is one who satisfies with good. I believe that. And that is a relationship with God. This is my testimony. I became a Christian when I was 16 years of age, trusted Jesus, received him by faith. But what has happened over the last 17 years is that I have realized more and more each year that Jesus isn't only just a good Savior who saved me from my sins, though he is. I've learned that actually knowing God and choosing to walk with him is better than anything in this world. To say no to sin and yes to Jesus is becoming less and less a discipline and more and more common sense. I just actually believe that God is better. To walk in community with his people, to treasure his word, to say yes to him, it's more satisfying, more joyful than anything else in this world. I actually believe that. Jesus said, I am the way, and he is the way. He's the way to the Father. He's the only way to the Father. He said, I am the truth, and he is the truth, and he speaks the truth, and his word is the truth. But he also said, and I am the life. Do you believe that? Every other 
thing in this world promises you that it's a life and it's going to satisfy, it's not going to satisfy. God alone satisfies. And David has to remind his soul as the luxuries of the whole planet, essentially, as a man of power, amount of access, a man who could have anything he wanted, he needs to remind his soul, soul, don't forget his benefits. He satisfies with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. See, like, we need to remind our souls of that because in this world are a thousand shiny objects that are going to tell us that they satisfy, but they don't. Jesus alone satisfies with good. All right, point number one, we need to actually coach our souls to remember the benefits of God because we will tend to forget them. So number one, we bless the Lord for his benefits. Point number two, we bless the Lord for his character, for who he is, for his character. Here's what happens in the next nine verses in Psalm 103. David transitions. He's been talking about the benefits of God. Now he's going to start to talk about who God is. See, what what we learn is that um, God forgives because he's forgiving. He heals because he's a healer. He redeems because he's a redeemer. He does good because he is good. His actions result from his character. And so David is going to remind his heart of who God is. And I want to encourage us to learn from him to start to train ourselves, to tell ourselves and tell our souls about the character of our God. I think our natural inclinations and assumptions about God are not true. We don't listen to ourselves. We tell ourselves the truth about who God is. Let me give you three pictures that we see in the next nine verses uh, that King David tells himself about the character of God. The first one is in verse number eight. It says, the Lord, verse eight, is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is one of the most fundamental descriptions of God's character in all of the Bible. In Exodus 34, when God goes to describe himself to his people, right, he's thinking, how can I help them understand who I am? He says, I'm slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love. What that means is he has a very long fuse, but he's really quick to love. He gets angry, but it says, he says, I'm slow to anger, but I'm abounding in steadfast love. Um, Dad, it's, it's Father's Day. Would your kids say the same thing about you? Is Dad quick to love and slow to get angry? Or is he really quick to get angry and really slow to show me love? Our God is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That means when you bump into God, you don't get this, you get this. His knee-jerk reaction towards you is love. It says abounding in love, like it's bubbling over the top. Like when you bump into God, what spills out is not anger, it is love. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. That's the truth about the character of our God. We need to tell our souls that because that's not naturally what we think. We naturally think God's a little bit ticked at me. I mean, if he's not mad, he's at least a little bit disappointed, you know? Like, I sin, I know I'm forgiven and all that stuff, but I don't think he really, no, 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 no. We need to tell our soul, soul, that's not God. God's not disappointed in you. God's not mad at you. If your faith is in Jesus, God loves you. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Next picture, verses 10 through 12. It says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us it says that god doesn't deal with us according to our sins because god dealt with jesus according to our sins do you get that we have a substitute god is not unjust 
He justly apportioned our sins to Jesus, dealt with Jesus on the cross according to our sins so that he can deal with us according to love and kindness and and like a loving father. What these verses are saying is that the, the full measurements of God's love and mercy towards us are beyond measure. Like how could God communicate to his people anymore how much he loves them but to say as far as down is from up, that's how much I love you. You're worried about your sin and if there's any Anything inhibiting me from you? Listen, how far is that way from that way? Okay, well, that's how far your sins are from you. And so when your faith is in Jesus, what's far from you? Your sins. What's close to you? God and his love for you. Listen, that's not the default mode of our heart. When we mess up, we think God's out to get me now. No, 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 no. We need to train our souls. Souls, God's love for you as high as, is, for you is as high as up is from down. We need to train our souls. Next picture of God's character, last one, verse 13. It says, as the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The last picture we get of God in this section is that of a compassionate father. When my daughter falls and scrapes her knees, there is nothing I wouldn't do to take away that pain. When my children go through heartache and pain, my heart breaks. When they rejoice, my heart breaks rejoices there's something about the heart of a compassionate father that is powerful and will overtake somebody and God says that that's my heart towards you think of a compassionate father and I realize on this father days father's day not everyone has a father that they can celebrate and take a card to but the thing about God is that he becomes for us our ultimate good father Psalm 27 and verse 10 says my father and my mother have forsaken me but the Lord will take me in he is our compassionate Father. When you're struggling, he takes notice. When you're lonely, he is present. He deals with us in patience and kindness. Long fuse, quick to love, heart of a father. Does your soul, when it's not led, naturally think of God that way? Does your soul relate to God as a loving father? Do you see him as the father who delights in you when you're hurting He's compassionate towards you. When you blow it, he doesn't freak out. He's patient with you. You are the absolute object of his affection. I think sometimes our souls drift into discouragement and despair, not because we don't think about God. It's that we don't think about God rightly. We're listening to ourselves. We're not speaking to ourselves the truths about who God is. And we think, yep, God's mad at me or he's a little bit disappointed. No, no, no. We don't listen to ourselves. We talk to ourselves with the truths of Scripture. That's what King David said. He said, soul, this is who your God is. Soul, he's your compassionate father. Soul, he's loving. Soul, he's forgiving. This is who your God is. And he commands his soul. So I don't even care if you don't even feel like it today. You're going to worship the Lord. We got to do that. You know that? I raise my hands in worship and music sometimes. Can I let you in a secret? Probably two-thirds of the time, I don't really want to. <laughs> let me tell you another secret. I'm a pastor. Some weeks, I don't want to go to church. <laughs> right? I'm preaching. I'm thinking, I could just text Chris. I'm sure he's got something in his back pocket, right? <laughs> I wake up in the mornings, think, ah, I don't really feel like reading my Bible. And in those moments, I, have the, I can listen to myself and go, or I can speak to myself. No. I'm going to remind myself who God is. I'm going to raise my hand. I don't care if I don't feel like it. I'm not listening to myself. I'm talking to myself, and I'm going to worship God. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't care. I'm not listening to myself. I'm talking to myself. I'm going to hear from the Word of God. And in those moments when I think God is distant, I remind myself of who he is. Say, no, Gavin's soul, bless the Lord for his character. Point number three, bless the Lord for his eternal love, for his eternal 
love. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. High five. And uh, we went down to Kansas City, because that's what you do when you're broke, uh, but you hit double digits, you know, Cancun. Oh, what do you think about KC? Sounds good. Okay, so we go to Kansas City, and uh, some friends of ours were just down there, Micah and Amy Yost, and we said, where'd you stay and all this. They recommended a cool hotel right in the downtown in the plaza uh, called Hotel Sorella, Hotel Sorella. So we booked Hotel Sorella for two nights, and we stayed there the first night, and it was lovely. We had a, a great time. It was very nice, but I have this thing where I'm really picky about pillows. And it's a nice hotel, so they got really thick pillows, because they think that thicker is better. Thick is not always better. I like the cheap. I grew up poor. I'm used to, like, I had one pillow for 18 years, and my neck has become accustomed. I like cheap pillows. I, it was too much. So uh, we happened to be at Target the next day, and they had some nice pillows, for, and they were $12. But I thought, you know what? I'm worth it. I'm, it's $12, huh? It's vacation. And I bought a, a thin pillow. Uh, at the Target, and we we're on our way to check out, and they had a little end cap with these Dyson fans. Have you guys seen these Dyson fans? They have bladeless fans now. I don't even know how they work. It's like a jet engine. It's just like voodoo magic. You turn it on, there's no blades. It's like this big, like the size of a, a boom speaker, but it, it works like a big box fan. And it was $38, and I don't sleep that well at night without a little white noise. So again, I'm worth it. It's 50 bucks, honey, 12 for the pillow, and 38. So I'm 50 bucks in and we're on vacation and it's totally fine because I'm going to sleep great that night. We'll just skip dinner the next night. I'm thinking, but then I remembered it was game three of the NBA playoffs that night. Our TV was really lame. It's a nice hotel, but it's not designed for TV. They had a $50 LED. Don't judge me. They had a 50 inch LED screen. It was $2.99. We can reuse it at home. Don't judge me. I got my pillow. I got my fan. (laughs) I got my flat screen, and then I, I thought, it's our anniversary, and the art in that room was so tacky. Hotel, De Sorella, whatever it was, it's not 1994 anymore. We can do better. And we went by this discount section. They had this big print of a white-tailed buck in velvet. Talk about not tacky. Uh, we were seeing a white-tailed buck, that, so it was $65. Again, I'm going to hang it up. It's just worth it, and then I saw the lamps. They had these lamps. Some of you are getting suspicious. (laughs) Why is everyone suspicious that I would actually do all of this for a hotel room? Because you're thinking, Gavin, why would you spend so much on some place that you're going to be for such a short time? The spiritual ones are going, "Mm, I see where he's headed. (laughs) Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it. Or the slip and slides pass over it, and it's gone. Yes, my grass is gone. And its place knows it no more. What this verse is saying is, listen, the the physical temporal life on this planet is but a blip on the eternal radar screen of the life that we look forward to in our relationship with God. He says the life that we live now, yeah, we pop up. It's beautiful. It's like grass. It's like a a flower, but the wind passes over it. And it's gone. It's placed and knows it no more. How many of you can name your great, great, great grandparents? Your own family ain't even going to remember you, right? 
He's telling his soul, listen, soul, I know everything in front of you feels so darn significant. Everything feels so pressing, and you're so important, and your schedule, and your demands, and the money you do or don't have in the bank, and your goals, and where your career is, and the schedule, and the presentation that you have on Tuesday, and the presentation that you failed last week. And I know it all feels so significant, but listen, it's like the grass. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. He's going to put things in perspective for his soul. Because look at verse 17 and 18. He says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his commandments and remember to or keep his covenant and remember to do his commandment. I think what David is doing here, he's telling his soul, listen, keep things in check, soul. Bless the Lord because his love goes from everlasting to everlasting. And there will come a day when everything that felt so significant in the moment just doesn't matter anymore. And so soul, focus on that which is eternally significant and eternally important. And bless the Lord for his eternal love for you. Don't lose sight of what's really important. City Light, I think we can learn the same lesson. Our soul is going to think that everything in front of us is just so important. But God says, look, your days are like grass. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. So church, I want us to be a church that keeps things in perspective. We wouldn't listen to ourselves and freak out about the eminent needs and wants and crisis and diagnosis and all of that. All of that's important, but in so many ways, we are but furnishing a hotel room. So we're going to command our soul, soul, all that's important, that's fine, but... I'm going to focus my heart on the everlasting love of God. Tuesday morning when I wake up anxious and I'm worried about the schedule and what I didn't get done on Monday and it's pressing on my Tuesday, I'm going to coach my soul. Soul, bless the Lord. Because all that's going to pass, but his love goes on and on and on and on. Third point, we bless the Lord. We coach our soul. We tell our soul, you will worship God for his everlasting love. I'll end with this. City Light, I want to declare that this summer is the summer to start leading our souls. Listen to me, no more being overcome with fear, anxiety, and worry because we're going to stop listening to ourselves and we're going to start talking to ourselves. I want us to start leading our souls. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so City Light, no more letting the one thing dominate the 1,000 things that we have to be thankful for. We will bless the Lord for his benefits. Amen? City Light, I believe that there's no more thinking that God is a distant, disinterested, disappointed God. He is a present, and he is a kind God, and he is our loving Father, and he's present. We will coach our souls to bless the Lord for his character. Amen? And no more running our lives and our schedules and our demands and our pressures like it's all that we're living for. All of that matters to some level, but at the end of the day, it's like functioning and furnishing a hotel room. We have an eternal inheritance that is waiting for us because God is good and God is generous and God has made us his forever. Would you stand up with me? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Um, there's been a few songs written on Psalm 103, and uh, we're actually going to sing this psalm back to God. And uh, I want us to kind of practice this soul discipline right now. And so you might be saying, hey, it's warm in here. Preacher, you got a little long. Are we really going to sing another song? Yes, we are. And so we're not going to listen to ourselves saying, man, I wonder, I got to get to my dad and we're going to go out to eat and all that. I want us to practice actually calling our souls to worship, saying, so I don't, I don't care what you feel like right now. We're going to worship God in light of who he is. We're going to command our souls to bless the Lord. And so let me pray for us. Jesus, 
There is no one like you who can capture our hearts. Your benefits, we could, we could inventory them for eternity and not exhaust all that you have done through us. Ephesians says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the person of Jesus. God, may we, if we're keeping score in this life, would it be of our blessings that Jesus has given us? God, your character, you've given us good gifts because you are a good God. Would we discipline ourselves to know and relate to you as you truly are? And oh Lord, even as we sing now, would we do so with a heavenly gaze, with a mindful perspective that everything on our calendar, everything that's awaiting us once we get in our car and leave this place is really like grass. The wind passes by and it's over, but we have been invited into eternity that starts now to commune with our eternal God and to worship you. And so, Lord, even as we sing now, would we practice for heaven? Would we start singing now and commanding our souls, I will bless the Lord, for we pray in his good name. Amen.